0: Two, one, zero. We have commit and we have left off at two, thirteen. That's five, of and it has the tower. Prepare yourself for a world. Of Good morning, everybody. Conley here with the Science Nights in the morning. Yeah, you heard that right. Plural nights. And uh, I have uh, Dr. Sean Bram, all the way from Australia, on the line with me, and also Dr. Thomas Schiller. What's up,
1: everybody? How's it going? What's
0: up? We're almost all assembled. I, yeah, I feel we're like just waiting
1: on Honor Bond to get we're back. We're waiting from on
0: Honor Bond to get back from India.
1: He's on the boat. Another three, four, five. <laughs> Six months, but he'll get here yeah. eventually.
0: Yep, he will be here. So we have a interesting topic today. We're going to be talking about something that is part of all of us. What, what, what would that at, be? At,
1: at, at, at one point, it's part of all of us. At but, one point? Yeah.
0: Then it leaves us. and then
1: <laughs> what, what would that be? Uh, today we're going to talk about shit. S H I T. Yeah.
0: Okay. Actually, it's dollar sign, hashtag, exclamation point uh another hashtag yeah you know the poop emoji is part of all of our lives
1: okay uh well most people
0: yeah but but it's very important to talk about we need to talk about this not it doesn't get talked about enough after the third grade
1: (laughs) well it it, yeah it depends on the person i guess (laughs)
0: yeah i guess i'm
1: 35 years old and i still laugh about it with my friends
0: oh okay all right well uh this is gonna be an interesting conversation uh now hey Listen, our our own bodily waste is very important to cultivate life, right? You put fertilizer on the ground. We got the dung beetles out there, like, you know, just rolling away. You know, that's their whole life's goal. So let's talk for the next 45 minutes about beep.
2: Yeah, well, we should all settle on uh, what what word we want to use instead of the word that we would tend to use that we have to bleep here because... uh, you know the regulatory agencies won't let us say this word, among a few, a handful of others, without getting fined. Uh, well, Sean, Sean what, you've what, got you've got young kids.
1: Gonna... You've got young kids. What what uh, polite oh. word for oh, feces? I, do I, you say use?
2: Sh- I say I say I <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sorry, Conley, you you're gonna have your work cut out oh, for you. Yeah, but that, I got my work cut out for me. That honestly. means something now, different
1: in Australia, though. That's like a term of endearment or something.
2: Uh, well, they're just—they swear a lot more. There's a lot less of the kind of puritanical. I mean, I go to the park and I see kids, and they're just dropping f bombs left and right. The c word, you—you you name it, they're—they're they're going to town. So people have a, just kind of a more uh, kind of laid-back attitude about about that sort of thing. There's like you—you you hear f bombs on on the radio. they like uh, national radio. Wow. Like their version of NPR uh, has has people dropping F-bombs left and right. And, um, you know, in in the old days, there used to be nudity on on television. Um, So there's just way more laid back about all that stuff here.
1: Um, I think NPR would be a lot more interesting with some (laughs) F-bombs.
2: Yeah, yeah. And there's nothing, it doesn't have, like, documentary programming. It's just, like, it's got like gangster rap and stuff like that will be on on their national radio station. Uh, A a perfectly valid uh, substitute for the the word that we can't say is turd don't you think? i like turd that word. yeah I that's it's a good, hilarious turd yeah, how about not, uh, so I, I uh, like,
0: droppings
2: let, how about yeah. we how, how about we explore the entire
1: spectrum let's go let's go <laughs> we use a whole, different word every time we reference but here's the thing i use the
2: word okay. i used the word turd in in a in, in a manuscript i was working on and the editor uh jumped all over it and said if you if you like look at the origin of the word turd it's an obscenity it's, it's it's supposed to be just as bad as the s word and i don't find that to be the case that's that's they wanted me to substitute feces feces and i think feces is a way worse it's disgusting i have a hard time even saying it now i can't say it ever again i'm going to say turds that's going to be mine okay, you turds. guys use whatever you want
1: i'm i'm going to i'm going to throw some variety in there i'm going to sprinkle some uh <laughs> I was going to give you another bleep there, Conley, but I'll... <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, okay. Let, let me go ahead and get the ball rolling here, if you will. I mean, listen... Just like it, a dung beetle. It's just like a dung beetle. We eat and we expel waste. We absorb all the nutrients, but those nutrients can be used for other life forms. We were talking about the evolution of dogs like a way long time ago and uh, the way dogs kind of evolved into, uh, you know, being closer to us as humans... Is by eating our droppings.
2: Yep. right. Poop eaters. Poop
0: eaters. So, so let tell me about the importance of.
1: You got to say it once, Conley. <laughs> you gonna,
0: gonna? I'm not gonna say it. Uh, my mom's <laughs> listening. Okay. Can you,
1: can, but, can you uh, say ship?
0: I, she I won't can not not it. I can't do that. It. I can do your that.
2: skilled editing will e- edit it out. Uh, <laughs> your yeah. sure, precious okay. ears will All be right. saved. Well,
0: anyway. Uh, yeah, no, I think it's important to talk about because, you know, I came up with this idea and I thought, you know what? It doesn't get talked about enough. Like when I put fertilizer on plants, they love it. So what's up with it?
2: Yeah. I mean, there's plenty of, uh, you, it, so digestion isn't hundred percent efficient. Uh, and so there's plenty of nutrient, uh, nutrition, nutrients in poop. Uh, that can still be used as, you know, fertilizer for soil and that sort of thing. And that's part of, you know, if there was such thing as a, a totally efficient digestive tract, and there it's impossible, there's physics in this that Anurban could tell us about, it's just impossible to convert anything like that um, and have it be, you know, uh, completely absorbed intact. So you, there's like nitrogen, phosphorus, all kinds of good stuff that, you know, you can't just pick it up and eat it and get more nutrition out of it, but um, plants can certainly use that stuff for um, for nutrition. I should mention that there are mammals, this is going to grow some people out, that do eat their own poop. Well, dogs. Uh, coprophagy. Well, dogs, sure, that just because they're weird and, and they love it. And, <laughs> uh, but there are some, where it's actually a, a necessary part of their digestion, these are going to be plant eaters because... If you've listened to us before talk about any kind of plant-eating animal or dinosaur or whatever, you know that plants are way harder to digest than than meat. And so plant eaters, to get all the nutrition they need, might have to pass the uh, poop through another turn to get everything they need out of it. So the classic example of this is it's called coprophagy, um, and rabbits do this. Um, Rabbits will uh, eat and you could actually, if you go out in your backyard and you have cottontails or jackrabbits, uh, you can find little turds that are kind of soft and wet and greenish looking. Mm-hmm. And these are some that have only passed through their digestive tract once. And maybe you, you scared the rabbit away and it pooped and didn't get a chance to eat them. Um, and uh, the smaller, drier uh, brown pellets are the ones that have gone through twice. And uh, that's how, and rabbits do this uh, habitually. It's not some weird thing that they do because they've got a personality disorder. Uh, it's, they all do it and they constantly do it. It's how they get all their nutrition. Uh, other other mammals get more nutrition by having more complicated digestive tracts, maybe a big four-chambered stomach that it's gonna kind of move stuff through and, and mix it around before it goes through and they only, it only passes once and it takes a lot longer that way. But rabbits, uh, eat their own poop. There's even some marsupial opossum or possums in Australia that do this. And the way they do it is they kind of do, they dangle themselves upside down.
1: (laughs) I know where this is going. And and,
2: and let the poop fall straight into their mouth. So because they're tree dwellers and if they pooped on the ground, they'd have to go find it. That's efficiency. They assume a gymnastic uh coprophagy position but this is natural
0: for them to do they they grew grew up learning this
2: yeah there is even if you if you look at some of the anthropology literature uh i'm not going to mention any uh, uh, some some cultures uh did this as well human cultures
0: whoa yeah Yeah, that's a little weird
1: yeah it is um so so so, soviet union Stuff went down in the gulag. (laughs) Let me tell you, man. Well, growing
0: up, I remember in 4-H, we were learning tracking, like tracking animals and like, you know, just going and, and on every scavenger hunt, they always said, you know, find this animal's feces, like see if this animal's in the area. And we would have this little chart of all the different kinds and what they looked like and like right next to that chart was their feces and a footprint. And by using that chart, we would figure out what animals were in the area mm-hmm. and which ones would, like, kind of be there. So the observation of it is very important, I think, for education, but also our own survival, because our ancestors had to track and find out which animals are available for us to hunt down, right? Yeah. So. I,
1: I, I actually use that quite a bit when I'm out, especially by myself in the field. Yeah. Being able to recognize and distinguish like predators from from things that aren't going to try to eat you, mm-hmm. um, and I can pretty easily distinguish like mountain lion poop from from like wild pigs or javelina poop. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. And if you're by yourself and you find a fresh steaming pile of, of mountain lion scat, scat yeah. scat's a word. Yeah. Yeah. that's a good one. Um, <laughs> yeah, then it's time to, to kind of. Uh, get yourself on alert at least i do because uh, you know i'm kind of terrified of mountain lions
0: oh yeah i mean they'll stalk you man yeah.
1: yeah 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 and and if you find if you find their poop then it tells you that they've recently uh avoided their their yeah their guts so they've they're, got room for you
0: they're, yeah they're making room just for you thomas yep. <laughs> just for you man so yeah now this is very interesting because um it is necessary for life. I'll just say it again. It's necessary. We got to uh, to to scat ourselves. Bird, do birds, Sean? Do birds uh, feed it to their babies?
2: Uh, not that I know of. Um, the birds are really good at. I, I'm trying to think of a type of bird that might do the things that mammals do because there's just really not that many birds that are strict plant eaters uh-huh. that eat that feed on like um, leaf green leaves. Mm-hmm. Those, those are some of the hardest things to feed on. So even birds that live in grasslands, they're not out there grazing on grasses. They're grazing on the seeds of the grasses. Oh, and the seeds. seeds are, seeds are, seeds and fruit are easy to digest. You don't need anything special for that. Um, so there's plenty of fruit eating birds, seed eating birds, but there's very few leaf eating birds. I'm thinking of one called the Hawatsin, which is kind of a fowl like bird from uh, South America that eats vegetation. It's got a very complicated gut. And if it, if it was going to be a bird that does anything weird like coprophagy, I would predict it would be the Watson, but I don't know. Uh, I've never read that that's the case. Birds are really good at uh, cleaning their poop. Uh, so what they're famous for, if you're thinking of like a bird feeding their young poop, <laughs> yeah, uh, they're, that that's not going on. But what they're doing is birds are really good at taking their baby's poop and cleaning out the nest. Oh, so, so that, that's, that's what that's, they're doing. The barn swallows yeah, that, that
0: I see, yeah. Here. So if
2: you see if you see um, a mama bird with poop in its mouth, um, and that I guess that would be pretty easy to spot, and you'd recognize it because it would have the, like the little white pasty morsel with the black little you know dookie. Yeah dookie that's yeah. a good one there you go. i think i wanted to use dookie in my paper and because and I, I thought it was just hilarious to use that I said <laughs> but anyway so uh yeah they clean their nests they they um grab so if you if you look in a bird's nest you would you would think after living in two weeks a bird's nest would be disgusting right No, oh, yeah. it's clean because mama's taken the scats out of there uh in her beak or and daddy if there's uh bi-parental care and they're removing those turds out somewhere, and you know, spitting it out, scraping it some. Point. So yeah, yeah, they're usually are, they'll go to a, your
0: car, or like a Lexus, or some right, kind of right. a Toyota Tercel, or something. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Typically,
0: what I'm, yeah. from my observations,
2: under a mulberry tree. That's where you. <laughs> that's where you get plenty of turds. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's a kind of an interesting point, and yeah, birds are. That's a distinctive behavior that they do that is pretty well known, um, and they're including the eggshells. They'll take those away and and get rid of them as well because any of that stuff could attract potential predators and can be kind of extra stinky. So they're really clean with their nests. Hmm. Interesting. Okay.
0: So are there any animals that like right now, maybe even insects that require the presence of other animals' oh. uh, uh, scat.
2: Well, yeah, the the one that you're that you mentioned before is pretty spectacular. The dung beetle, um, and there's plenty more where that came from. There's kind of a whole, you know, all kinds of flies and um, microorganisms. There's a whole kind of small sub ecosystem. That um, that requires poop for its existence. Just like there's always stuff on standby to to break down dead stuff. There's this decomposer, uh, decaying ecosystem, uh, specialized beetles, flies, all kinds of things that just spend their whole lives kind of scanning horizon for turds and or you know, or bodies to to invade. And there's certainly um, some, especially in places where there's a lot of poop. There's a really cool snake biologist who, who does talks on this. He just loves kind of weird ideas. This guy, Harry Green, mentions that what he learned from going to the African savanna is that poop is pristine. Hmm. If you can follow that. So that we, you know, our concept of cleanliness as humans is a, a land of no poop, right? You, you, you wouldn't, you wouldn't assume that, but man, where there's plenty of huge animals roaming around, there's always poop everywhere. Yeah. Everywhere. Yeah. Just well, you loads you of go to of a elephant. horse stable
0: and there, I mean, yeah, it's exactly. all over the place. Yeah.
2: Think about what the great Plains would have been like with those, uh, herds of, of millions of bison plus millions of pronghorn plus millions of elk and the grizzlies and wolves following them around. It would have just been poop everywhere. And yeah, that's where you would expect to find lots of specialized, uh, poop eaters and, and poop breeders. So that's lots of flies, lots of beetles, um, and all kinds of things like that. So, but lots of vibrant plants too, like yeah, flourishing you, plants. You, mm-hmm. Sure, sure. Uh, you know, things resprouting. There's all kinds of plants that uh, sometimes require passage through a uh, mammal or bird's gut to germinate. It needs to be primed, and so yeah, plants rely on that stuff too. And it's it's a great like ready-made perfect fertilizer bed for certain seeds. It's just awesome. But yeah, if you think about a landscape like we think about a landscape, of a beautiful desert landscape that's just clean that's one of the things we like about the desert it's you know it's counterintuitive because it's actually kind of sandy and dirty but it's clean there's no there's nothing gross out there it's not like a swamp with festering but no it, that anytime you think about a clean landscape it's a landscape without animals because mm. a landscape with lots of animals say a landscape full of enormous dinosaurs mm. would be full of turdzilla's
0: well uh after the break we're definitely going to want to chat a little bit about uh observing it in a historical sense uh, uh geologically historical sense you could sure, say sure yeah and uh fossilized uh dinosaur scat also known as coprolite
1: there you go is
0: that you taught me yeah. that okay you remember All right. i remember i remember that one we'll see you right after the break all right, everybody. We are back. And I know what you're doing right now. You're sitting down. You're getting ready for brunch. You have that real nice, beautiful plate of creme de la creme. You're about to eat the creep from the, from the back. <laughs> and, uh, you, you have, you're just making a, it worse. <laughs> yeah. You have yourself oh a nice mimosa and you're about to take that first sip. And, uh, well, Thomas, let's talk about excrement. How about right. that? Let's talk about crap.
1: There's a, there's another good word we can say that on the on there the we radio go, we Crap. Can. Okay, yeah. One one thing that that I thought of while we were on the break there, Sean, uh, you talked about the the Great Plains and the importance of uh, of bison and and all of these these grazing animals. Um, I think from a anthropological standpoint, if we had an archaeologist here or someone, they'd probably mention that um, that poop that the bison were leaving behind uh, was actually really critical to the people who lived on the plains. I remember whenever I took uh, you know, a history class or archaeology class or something in high school, we learned about the importance of the buffalo chips, not only to the uh-huh. native people, but to the pioneers and westward expansion, people moving across the plains where there was literally no wood for fuel, and they had to burn buffalo turds, basically, hmm. just- um, and uh, uh, from what i understand it's it's a pretty efficient clean burning fuel source <laughs> as clean yeah, as clean yeah. as a turd can be well our, isn't
0: cow and like buffalo and those big giant grazing animals don't they have the like cleanest like the cleanest stuff like the cleanest uh
1: well that's they've, they've got a lot of plant material in them so. right right yeah, it's, it's like majority plant, plant yeah right?
2: But they've, they've got tons of microorganisms in there, in there. That's part, how they digest that stuff. They got these four chambered stomachs part, they're just these fermentation vats full of microorganisms. Now, those microorganisms, like there's bacteria, there's protists, all kinds of stuff. They don't necessarily, they're not pathogenic necessarily, but you know, if, if you equate clean with lack of microorganisms, then they are not clean at all. It's just full of that stuff. And Mm. of course, they can have parasites as well. So, yeah, they they, but it is all plant material, and so if it comes out and it dries out, then you're just basically burning a bunch of kind of uh, grass that's gone through a cow already, and so that that's a pretty good fuel.
1: Yeah, and we th- we think of like grass and leaves as being kind of fragile things, but the the material when it starts to break down is really 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 tough, right? So, yeah, am I remember incorrectly cellulose. It's really hard to almost impossible to break down.
2: Yeah, cellulose and um, so yeah, the the way it goes is with plant material. You know, the the simplest form, the kind of stuff that we can digest are carbohydrates, and those are just like little glucose molecules, little six carbon sugars uh, glued together. And then you can have starches, uh, where it's a bunch of glucose molecules in a chain, and we can break down starches too. Uh, We're capable of that. Um, There are very few. Simple glucose molecules or starches available in any plant just waiting for you to eat. Uh, the glucose, like the sugar molecules may be in nectar. That, so there you go. And starches, you know, maybe in some fruit. Then they package it even more densely. They, they package it into cellulose, which you said very few animals can digest cellulose. It usually requires microorganisms to tear it down. And that's where those microorganisms in your gut and cow's guts comes in. And then finally, plants can package cellulose even tighter into lignin, which is basically wood. And very few things can consume wood. Termites can do it, but they need microorganisms. And then grasses reinforce their tissue with silica, which, uh, Thomas, you can tell us what that is, essentially.
1: Yeah, the, glass. Yeah, right? it's yeah, it's 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 glass. In that case, it's it's organic glass, microcrystalline yeah. quartz, basically one yeah. of the hardest natural substances to break down.
2: Hmm. Yeah, it just tears. It just destroys their teeth, and that's why herbivores that eat grass need constantly replenishing, um, regrowing teeth. Mm-hmm. Is that um, the same
0: stuff that, that you get whenever you uh, buy a new piece of furniture, or buy a new electronic? You get that little package. I thought it was parmesan cheese but yeah that's that's made it's it? made
1: in a lab yeah silica is, is if you have a quartz crystal it's it's basically silica silicon and oxygen and it creates a really strong silicon tetrahedron you probably remember this from geology
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, but when you take those little tetrahedra and you bond them together it's really hard to break them apart interesting um, yeah it's you know we're talking high high temperatures, and a volcano can can break apart those bonds. Oh wow! Huh. Um, yeah, and you can another cool. And again, Conley, you probably remember this from historical geology: the the coevolution of grasses and uh, things like horses with specialized mm-hmm. teeth for for grazing. Oh yeah. Um, so yeah. yeah, there's all sorts of we could do a whole yeah, show on co- grass. Well, put that on, put on the and, list. Let's talk de- about grass. Definitely, but
0: coevolution yeah. and and uh, fecal matter you know that that's a that that happens too i mean dogs and us right well well
1: that's another question i had for for you sean you talked about these kind of novel efficient ways like a like a rabbit of uh consuming their their fecal matter is there some sort of ecological reason for that is it like a lack of resources um because rabbits live in some pretty extreme places there's like like arctic hares that live way up north and we've got rabbits out here in the desert is that just a mechanism to when there's a lack of food
2: No, I think yeah, that's a great question. I think with rabbits, they kind of they kind of evolved this weird behavioral go around um, for for feeding on plant material. You know, and there's more than one way to do it, and I guess that's kind of the answer to it. Um, We think about the ruminants, the ones that have the four-chambered stomach, um, as being kind of the best and most efficient plant eaters, but there are some negatives, and it's mostly we think it's the best way because there's so many of them. Like All the gazelles, most of when you think about a plant-eating mammal, you're usually thinking about a ruminant. but it takes a long time. It's inefficient. And so rabbits have come up with this other interesting solution, which is just to pass it through twice. And it, it's just one of those things where it, it happened in that group and um, they managed to, to kind of pull it off. The other way to do it uh, is not as common It's having a, a, a fermentation chamber in the rear part of the digestive tract. Hmm. So in cows and things like that, it's in the front part. Um, and it has to spend a lot of time up in the front before it passes through. And there are these other kinds of herbivores called hindgut fermenters that have an enlarged intestine, like large intestine, uh, cecum that, uh, where the nutrition, you know, the plant material spends time in the back. And that's nowhere near as good as having it in the front, but it still works. It's just that uh, if you're a hindgut fermenter, you have to f- consume a ton of material. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and eventually it works out. But you just have to eat a lot more than you would if you were a four gut fermenter. So horses, for example, are hindgut fermenters and uh, rhinoceroses and a, a few other things. And there's just not as many of those around as there are the foregut fermenters, so we're kind of tempted to conclude that the, the four gut fermenters are the best uh, because they're right now the, the most dominant. So do but, they... Um,
0: do they evolve based on their their diet or based? Like, well, based on their species, because isn't a horse and a rhinoceros kind of aren't they related? They're in
2: the yeah, they're in the same group. Yeah, so there right. definitely seem to be a kind of evolutionary history here that the group, you know, the perissodactyls, the odd-toed mammals mm-hmm. like horses and rhinos are right. tend to be hind gut fermenters. And um, even toed, the artiodactyls, even toed mammals are usually foregut. Not all the artiodactyls are, like, for example, pigs are an example of an artiodactyl that doesn't have a four chambered stomach. Mm. Um, so they're, they're, they don't eat as many of the plants. Mm-hmm. But there definitely seems to be kind of like this evolutionary kind of tendency here the hindgut fermenters in one group. And maybe back in the early Cenozoic, they were kind of evened out. There were a lot more of the perisodactyls around, but it seems like over time, probably with the, I would, I would suspect with the spread of grasslands, that artiodactyls kind of eventually more or less took over. Um, And perisodactyls have have kind of um, started to tend to go away. Mm -hmm. And the really cool thing within the marsupials in Australia, uh, who've had their kind of own evolutionary history on their own, both types have evolved within the um, within the marsupial herbivores, and so we got four gut fermenters with four chambered stomachs, and they're not the same four chambered stomachs that the that the artiodactyls have, that the ruminants have. It works the same way, but they evolved it independently. And it turns out they're the most efficient in Australia too, because the kangaroos have that, and the kangaroos are by far the most successful Australian marsupials.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting because, I mean, they, yeah, Australia and I guess New Zealand are kind of test cases, right? Because they, they are so far removed from everything. Yeah. Do you think they've evolved yeah. quicker or 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 slower or, or what?
2: Or just differently? I, it seems like the, differently, I think. And, but in many cases, the same way. So just independently, I guess, is the best way to mm, say it. Okay. But no, like uh, if you look, if you went back. It, it would be really cool to see the full marsupial fauna that was available in the Pleistocene during the Ice Age. There were a lot of stuff there, just like in you know North America. There were a lot more antelope and you know things that are related to pronghorn, and there were you know the megafauna was around, and there was a lot of stuff to see. So that makes me think that the the, the marsupial stuff evolved at kind of a very similar pace, and in and in response to many of the exact same climate factors that were going on worldwide but just with a different pool of mammals to start with they started with mostly marsupials and a handful of monotremes the egg laying mammals there weren't uh you know uh, there were a handful of placentals that got there like seals and bats and some rodents but mostly it was the marsupials and so you got a very similar fauna uh That is totally unrelated to the fauna and the rest of the world. There were giant wombats that would have filled the role of, say, a um, enormous tapir or or rhinoceros, a big hindgut fermenting wombat, um, diprotodon that was the size of, you know, a VW bug. Things like that. Uh, Really cool.
0: Yeah, that's that's awesome. Well, and speaking... I imagine it's
2: turds. It's turds. I, 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 hey, we got to get back. Let me circle back to turds. Okay, yeah. wombats yeah. Wombats. Most people would have heard on the web have square turds.
0: Square, like the really Wendy's burger.
2: <laughs> yeah, like exactly like that. They're cube shaped turds uh, that that are about. Let me see. Oh, what size? They'd be like the size of an ice cube, and they like to put them on little stacks, which is great. So super, it's one of the easiest easiest mammals on Earth to identify from its scat because of the behavior of where they like to drop them in a little pile on top of a rock, and they're the size and shape of an ice cube. So have no problem. That's weird. So do they get like extra
0: style points for doing that? What (laughs)
2: I, they do for me, absolutely. <laughs> they get to they get to stack them
1: afterwards.
0: But is there a reason why there's <laughs> a specific place animals lay their the, the brown egg?
2: Yeah, if you will. That, that go, That's a behavioral thing. So mammals have done this outrageously awesome thing where they've they've basically used since they've got a poop anyway, and it's smelly, and there's all kinds of chemicals in it that can kind of other mammals can maybe use to assess the pooper. Uh, mammals have more than just about anything else have used poop as a communication device. And that's why they're doing, oh. it. Uh, they're dropping it in very obvious places. Uh, poop is a great communication device because it, 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 often, it can uh, often broadcast some sort of a signal for a decent amount of time before it finally kind of dries out, and loses its smell. Uh-huh. But it's great because if you leave that thing, you don't have to be there for the signal to be received. It's this long-term signal that you can safely leave behind and then go away somewhere. And then maybe your rival comes along the next week, smells it, and you're long gone. You don't have to get in a fight with that animal, but you've delivered the message that this is your territory. Huh. And so that's why that's why mammals are so preoccupied with pooping in special places. It's all communication. Um, and, and it's especially important in mammals that are... Uh, smell-oriented mammals which is almost all of them right uh, the only group of mammals that isn't smell oriented that doesn't do this very frequently is primates us uh, we use visual signals more monkeys apes and humans so we're not uh, that group the primate group are not as obsessed with dropping turds everywhere and smelling them and and but almost every other mammal group is hmm. because they're very smell oriented
0: yeah, tell that next time you find a, a burning bag on your doorstep.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I bet you kids yeah. don't even do that anymore. That's I don't worse.
1: think
0: so. Probably not. Well, well, let's move from mammals, Dr. Dr. Schiller and Dr. Graham, to reptiles or okay. even dinosaurs. Like, well, I've never seen – first off, I've never seen a snake turd. I've never seen mm. one. Have yeah. you all? Have you seen it? I've
2: well, I've b- seen them do only they exist? because yeah. – they they look a lot like bird turds because rep, reptiles have that similar. Um, they they evacuate their uh, nitrogenous waste like their urates, the urine kind of stuff, which mm-hmm. is in reptiles is a semi-solid paste. That white stuff you see on a bird turd oh. is actually the urine component, more or less.
0: So cloaca really, is the reason. Yeah,
2: exactly. Okay. They, it's common opening; it all comes out at the same time, and so and they've got this really nice crystalline. Oh, solid urate waste product that they avoid at the same time as snakes do too. So snakes, snake turds are pretty gross. They're often, they'll have a little bit of hair in them if they've been eating rodents, and then this white paste. It's not as, as smelly. It, it's its one of the least smelly turds you can get your hands on, honestly. That's surprising. Oh, yeah, I mean... Is, it, are are there, is,
1: the, snake, the snake turds, are, are these these... Because I've seen this a few times. I've never directly seen a snake uh, dropping a deuce, but... Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's another ter- term for see, you. There, there you go. Um, Deuce. Occasionally, involved. walking around out in the desert, you see these kind of long, white, almost smears on the on the the surface. Is that probably snake droppings? Probably not. I'm no? thinking, um,
2: yeah, that kind of crud is... Probably bird? Just, uh, yeah, I think it would be like a, a an from, insect from or something,
0: leaving its... Yeah. its
2: you know, yeah. And it probably wouldn't be that big i'm thinking but yeah so snakes i think often i've never i've never found a 100 a percent sure certain snake poop in the wild mm. they probably do it um when they're in their underground little chambers oh. and so you you never see them um, well when you catch so, them
0: it's like they don't use it as defense mechanism or anything they just they use their fangs well no they
2: do that's that that snakes will poop all over you um, for sure oh really they got scent glands down there that'll will skunk you as well the more or less work like a skunk so yeah the snakes will poop yeah snake if you could tell like i i was a lonely kid growing up because i was always covered in snake musk um and and that was my cologne when i was in elementary school and high school so um yeah and it Often smells pretty awful and so not enough to discourage me from from studying snakes, but pretty awful
0: huh interesting well talk about the dinosaur uh, the, well, the 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 the
1: chamberlings so l- let me begin with a little with a little story here um, so i've I've spent a lot of time out in Big Bend prospecting for dinosaur bones and fossils. And um, I've never found anything that I could verifiably say is a fossil piece of poop. I've mm. had people show me things that they thought were <laughs> fossil poop, um, but I've, I've never found what we call a coprolite mm. fossilized dung um, in Big Bend. The first time I encountered coprolites, fossil poop, actually out embedded in the rock was actually up in the panhandle in Triassic rocks. Mm. I was... I was lucky enough to go out on a prospecting trip with, with a guy who was working in the Triassic rocks out there in the panhandle. And we were looking for big terrestrial reptiles. And, um, I came across this mound in these Triassic rocks and it was full of like chalky white things oh. and oh. You, chalky. Yeah. They were really, really like rub off white. on your hands. Yeah. 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 Huh. Um, and I could see that from a distance, so I walked up to it. My the geologist brain was saying, "Oh, this has got to be a conglomerate or caliche or something." I'm going to go check it out anyway. And I walked over there, and sure as sh- stuff, <laughs> it, it, these little white things were all turds. They were all yeah. copper lights, and it's I'm like talking bed, from where? a whole
2: horizon. It was even more about? than a
1: horizon. It was about a three meter thick.
2: Whoa. Of, this is like a guano, a guano deposit.
1: And and presumably representing a long, long time that these animals were, were defecating in this one spot, like elephants. Interesting. And the guy I was with had never seen that. There was no explanation for it. Um it was we could tell that they were phytosaur turds. And these phytosaurs are these big kind of crocodile-like terrestrial reptiles. Yeah. Huh. But they were they were all Going there to to do their number two. Did you guys publish that? That sounds incredible. I don't know if I don't know if the guy published it. Did I just went out there. I went out there there once, and I don't know if he he he's since passed away. But um, yeah, it was one of the coolest things I've I've seen. And that's uh, amazing. Yeah, and um, you know, aside from that, the the use or the importance of what we call copper lights. Um, has a lot to do with, with kind of the mysteries of, of extinct animal physiology. You mm-hmm. know, when you think about something that lived 65 million years ago, or in the case of the stuff we were looking at like 200 million years ago, wow. we know a lot about their skeletal anatomy. We, we know the kind of framework, but we don't know really anything about their physiology, what's going on in the inside, how these processes work. And one of the only clues that we have, in most cases, um, if we can find it, are copper lights, are their 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 traces, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so how
0: would it be buried, Rappel? How would it be preserved for that long, or or get so rapidly buried? It's not like if it's over a long period of time, it seems like eventually some would wash out, or
1: sure, yeah. But this this is probably one of the most prolific. Places, uh, the, specifically this one I'm talking about in the Triassic up in the Panhandle, um, just an incredible amount of perfectly preserved uh, terrestrial reptiles. Wow! Um, and and the the facies, the 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 kind of characteristics of the depositional environment indicated to us that this was like a floodplain river environment mm. okay. where there's a lot of deposition going on, active burial stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So the- that
2: almost suggests that those things were like um, feeding somewhere and then returning to one spot, like, you know, like uh, those big guano rookeries of marine birds. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Conley, kind of to your question of how would something like that get uh, preserved, if you think about these guano deposits for seabirds that can be, you know, a 100 feet thick yeah. or bat guano deposits that could be, you know, dozens of feet thick. And those have a pretty good chance, you know, in modern days of becoming like a fossil deposit. But that, it's amazing to think of phytosaurs being an, in concentrations uh, where they would return and poop and form a layer like that. What, yeah. the, what would they be doing that for? Yeah, That's and really they, interesting. They,
1: they, don't, they didn't appear to be really um, uh, social animals either. If you,
2: no, I, mean, I wouldn't think so. No,
1: they're very much like, like modern crocodilians in that sense. Um, another explanation could be – you know, a sedimentological one that rather than it being a site of where they're revisiting to to poop, that mm-hmm. uh, that this was some kind of eddy or, or little little oxbow or something mm-hmm. where the river was was depositing and accumulating basically a a conglomerate of of copper lights of dung. Um, so it was an interesting question. I only got to see it for a day. Um, I mm-hmm. hope the guy at least made some notes of it or something. Cause I never, it was on private land. I wasn't able to go back there again, but, um, hmm. yeah, like I was saying though, um, copper lights are really some of the only clues we have of physiology, um, and behavior. Um, something that the biologists, some biologists do ecologists is, you know, study the contents of, of poop to kind of determine what these different animals are eating. Yeah. Um, Anthropologists, archaeologists do it where they find uh, paleo feces—not necessarily fossilized poop of of um, ancient humans. Um, you yeah. can basically look inside, and there's little pieces of bone, hair, plant material. Uh, the same I goes. Across,
2: uh, I across. Sorry, go ahead. I came. I came across an archaeology paper where the the whole paper was um, about one one turd one copper light that they found the
1: big one the the eight inch Uh, uh, eight inch one i think i I looked at that
2: too it was a single a single turd but it was a very important finding and it was very controversial so they found basically it was in the four corners um in southwestern colorado during during the time of like the mesa verde people and this house had been ransacked and everyone in it had been killed and there was evidence of cannibalism ritual hmm. cannibalism and to really make sure that they prove it and because you know this is very contentious um they found a turd and they confirmed that the turd back their their uh you know that the turd was basically where somebody had ate somebody else and then pooped on the floor oh my gosh yeah it was it's crazy i mean it's really sinister and but this is the kind of thing that like what an amazing little piece of evidence right because oh, yeah. it would still be contentious and it would still be you know debatable but they're like no <laughs> they went in there they kicked in the door they killed everybody in the house they burned it and then somebody took a dump on the floor and that's how we know that they um ate literally them
1: yeah. yeah the next time you think about complaining about your your bad house guests Think about guess, that. I
2: guess. Well,
0: we're going <laughs> to at least take they another, didn't do that. Well, on that <laughs> on that nice, light, bright, beautiful note, uh, we're going to take a real quick commercial break.
1: But yeah, before we left for the break, we were talking about fossil poop, copper lights, um, and Sean brought up an example of uh, kind of a little bit more modern than what what I'm used to, to studying. Um, looking at the contents of a piece of 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 uh, ancient man doo, and finding some behavioral things about that that individual uh, namely that he uh, killed everyone in a house and <laughs> ate them uh, but let's leave that 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 story in the past where it belongs um and and dive a little bit deeper into the past and continue talking about fossil poop stuff that that was buried and and replaced by by minerals um, in particular, what I'm really interested in, dinosaur poop, uh, big, 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 monstrous dinosaur poop. Um, I've never found it. I've never found any dinosaur poop. Um, but when it is found, it's usually uh, pretty informative, uh, at least in the sense that, that we can determine what the animal was eating. Um, generally speaking, you can tell if, if that poop belonged to a carnivore or an herbivore, but um, for obvious reasons, if you look inside of a carnivore turd, it's going to have bone fragments in it. And if you look at the inside of a herbivore turd, it's going to have little plant fragments in it. Um, now, beyond that, um, it's, it's hard to kind of compare the study of lights in dinosaurs to something like Sean was talking about with humans. Because humans, I think you could probably tell quite a bit more about what that uh, individual was doing because humans have much more diverse diet. Um, and they probably moved around quite a bit more than, than dinosaurs did. So, hmm. um, so we can distinguish plant eaters from, from meat eaters. Um, in some cases, if you look at the plant tissue, you can distinguish the type of plants they were consuming, um, which might have some ecological implications. Um, but another important thing is it gives us an opportunity to see what the soft tissue of that animal look like, which I mentioned earlier, the, uh, the physiology and the internal organs and all the soft, soft, squishy bits of these animals is kind of hard to understand because none of it's left usually. Uh, but when you look at a coprolite, a fossil piece of poop, um, sometimes they're really well preserved. And by that, I mean, you pick it up and it looks like a piece of poop
0: Mm. with
1: tapered ends and everything. Right. (laughs) And it's really one of the only ways you can distinguish it. Uh,
0: uh, now, 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 I know that people, well, I have, I, I brought you rocks mm-hmm. that, I mean, look exactly like fossilized dung, right? Yeah. But you say they're all conglomerates or they're compounds or something like that. Now, didn't, didn't, am I wrong on this? Uh, some dinosaurs use rocks to help digest. Mm-hmm. And what
1: would that be classified as? We call those gastroliths. Of oh, gastroliths. Um, and di- dinosaurs weren't the only animals to do that, and and birds do it today. You know, mm. living dinosaurs do it. They have a specialized organ um, to do it. But uh, yeah, we find in some cases uh, dinosaur skeletons, especially big herbivorous dinosaurs, with rocks in their in their their uh, stomach cavity. Basically, and
0: they wouldn't ever pass
1: them. Um, I'm. Sure, it happened occasionally. Oh yeah, um, I wouldn't want to be there when it happened, but um, <laughs> yeah, yeah the, it's it's really kind of an interesting thing, and it's controversial too, believe it or not. Uh, and we talked, we I talk about this in my class, uh, is being able to tell whether or not these things are actually gastroliths or, or just highly polished rocks because that's what they look like. They just look yeah. like highly polished rocks that you get out of a out of a creek. Um, so it's thought, at least the people who who kind of subscribe to the idea that that these big long neck dinosaurs were consuming rocks to help break down plant material that that was their mechanism that that was their method of of breaking down the the really durable plant material they were consuming um and the real incredible thing there is we're talking about animals that are like you know tons and tons of weight and you know 60 consume feet. Consume a lot of food. They would have constantly. yeah, consuming a lot of plant material um, and trying to break it down efficiently. So um, yeah, even more so than a big mammal like a cow or a bison. Wow. And
2: their teeth, their teeth were terribly impressive.
1: No, no, they're, they're, the, the the big the big sauropods didn't really have grinding teeth. They just had uh, these kind of kind of uh, diamond shaped teeth in the front or peg shaped teeth for scraping off leaves, and they'd kind of just maneuver it.
2: Swallow it, right? Yeah, no, they
0: didn't have molars.
2: No, no molars. No. no, but well, that's what that's what the gizzard stones do. That's what the gaster. Oh, yeah, okay. that's that, that's the equivalent. So, like in birds, no, no birds have teeth, but there are some that that need grinding surfaces, and they use gizzard stones like like molars. That's what they're using mm-hmm. it for. So turkeys are a good example. Turkeys will just swallow hickory nuts whole. Hickory nuts are hard as rocks. Hunters will cut open the gizzard of a turkey, and there'll be like a spoon in there that's just mangled beyond (laughs) comprehension because they're gizzard stones. And the gizzard's a super muscular part of the stomach that they just crunch that. So it's actually in many ways more effective than using molars.
0: Interesting. Wow. And it's not like they're born with it. It, Their body doesn't naturally have it.
2: No, they have to consume it. And there, there, yeah. there are other animals. It doesn't that do cost that too. them anything to grow them, you know. They yeah. don't have to constantly replenish it. They can just keep eating more gizzard stones and passing the old ones when they get ground to dust. Mm-hmm. And we
1: find we find them in in marine reptiles too, in big marine reptiles. So, huh. um, it's thought that in that case that they might be used as like ballast or something. Um, mm, but then yeah. there's there's a whole school of thought that says it's all just bull stuff. Um, yeah. Uh, and that they're just polished rocks that are found sometimes associated with skeletons. So,
0: yeah, that, uh, <laughs> now that's pretty interesting because you would think that if there was a, a hickory nut shortage, or if there's a a disease that you know wiped out all the hickory trees that produce the nuts, or I don't I don't know what a hickory nut is. I've never seen one, but
2: uh, it's a nut that comes from a hickory. <laughs>
0: That's what I would
1: assume. Yeah.
2: That's what I, I would assume. Have, I should have used. I should have used acorn for West Texas. Oh, California. there we go. Acorn. My, my I know bad. what an
1: acorn. Is. Acorn. Acorn is. I
2: know yeah.
0: that one. Okay. Hickory. Okay. So now I know. All right. Well. Yeah.
1: But anyway, if you if you going back to to copper lights, um, if you find a really well preserved one, it it looks like a big turd. Uh, yeah. Which is kind of funny. You think that that something so far removed from from mammals like us would would have some weird shape or it'd be different in some way, but no, they look like big turds. Well, that
0: tells, (laughs) that tells you that they're probably inner structure like colon or whatever, like is similar to ours. Yeah,
1: Well, I I think the, the, the exit door probably, you know, it's, it's, it's a pretty simple and efficient. um, And Sean, you can, you can back me up on this pretty simple and efficient model there where you have the, a sphincter that opens up the the poop comes out, Closes up, yeah, and it and it's and, and it's tapered.
2: One of the yeah, one of the things to uh, to and for people who are interested in tracking is um, you always kind of to to get your sizes of scats straight. You kind of have to imagine the diameter of that poop door, um, and that's because a lot of people will like either under or overestimate the size of a scat. They'll see it like a coyote scat and go, "There's no way that could be a coyote. It's got to be a mountain lion." Because look at it's like you know, an inch and a half wide. And it's like, well, you know, that's a, imagine about the size of the back door of a coyote. And that's that's the size of the, the width of the turd should be mm-hmm. and on and on, you know. So a bear, right, that's a pretty wide turd that they're going to have. It's going to be probably the widest one, you know, of any of the carnivores around here. So it's a good rule of thumb. Think about the diameter of the sphincter when you're you're doing your scatological tracking
1: I'd say it's a good rule of bum.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: now is there anything you'd like kinda like to uh put that icing on the cake, if you will, well, to wrap l- up? Let me
1: let me talk about weird one one weird coprolite before we okay. before we put some icing on the cake. Yeah. Um sharks. Sharks. Yeah. Look up look up shark copper or shark turds. Um like prehistoric shark. Yeah, yeah. or, or modern shark turtles. modern, modern sharks too, yep. oh, yeah. Oh really. What, what's it up is with the weirdest. Yep. It's even weirder than than a cube, than a wombat turd. Yeah, it is. They're, and
2: the, it's the best example of where a turd can tell you about the internal anatomy. There you go. Because yep. they've got this they've got this corkscrew intestine that um, increases the time that a turd will spend time in the intestine to get more nutrition out. So they've got this spiral valved intestine. Yeah. And so the turd comes out as a little corkscrew.
0: So they got that extra spin cycle on.
2: Yeah. That's right. Exactly. That's exactly right. Yeah, it's like this yeah. weird
1: little coiled some of the fossil shark turds that I've seen almost look like a snail shell. Really? Yeah. They're weird. Oh, yeah, I encourage everyone go look up shark copper light if you want to be scientific. Or All shark right. shark poop. Safe should, search
0: filter off. Yeah.
1: <clears throat> <laughs> okay
0: all right well we got it we did it everybody we might be canceled after this but uh if we are well it's been good knowing you but uh no i'm just kidding we we will be back next week with science nights in the morning more fun topics halloween's right around the corner my friends yeah we need to do
1: another spooktacular episode or series of episodes
0: we're gonna dedicate a whole month to it trust me so
1: (laughs) right on yeah
0: all right all right well uh we will see y'all next week for science nights in the morning Thanks for listening to this episode of Science Nights in the Morning. Be sure and follow us on Patreon for exclusive gear and uncut episodes. Check out the latest science articles on our Facebook page and subscribe to us on YouTube and your favorite podcast listening app. You can also listen every Saturday at 10 a.m. Central Standard Time at BigBenRadio.com. And if you got a question, we'll join the discussion. Hit the hotline at 432-217-1983 and record your message. We couldn't do this without you. And thank you so much for listening each and every week. That's science nights in the morning with a K and we'll see you next time.